I was on a ledge about the jump. We was doing some promotion for Down With The King album, I believe. It was in Europe somewhere. We had to do a photo shoot. We finished the photo shoot. We go back down in our rooms, and Eric goes to everybody, yo, be in the lobby 6.30 for sound check. It was a routine. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like 1 o'clock now, so that's all free time. I wait till everybody go in the room. I look out the hallway. Nobody's there. Because I knew if I don't do it now, they're going to come lock the door so nobody goes to the roof. Because the door was open. So I run back up to the roof, and I get up on the ledge. And I'm on the ledge, about to jump, and... A couple of things went on to me that said, okay, the reason why I shouldn't jump is if I jump and don't die, this shit's going to hurt. Right. But if I don't jump, this feeling that doesn't hurt like it hurt if, if I break my back is way worse than any physical pain. Run DMC is one of the greatest rap groups of all time. Definitely one of the most important. They're hip hop's first superstars. But DMC, despite all the success and all the money... For many years, he was a mess. He was an alcoholic, he was depressed, and he was suicidal. Today, thanks to therapy and reflection, he's sober and happy to be alive. But we're going to dig into his difficult years in this episode and see how he dealt with hard times. It's DMC on Torre Show. Why did Run DMC work so well? Why did Run DMC work so well? Um, I guess if I had to say because because we did what was being done before hip hop became a recorded genre. Right, you were still- we did on records what the was, real pioneers. It was were the doing. routine era that you were exactly. ad- that you took and advanced. Right, it wasn't about like rappers of light came out. It was a rap song. Okay, rapper, but you were more authentic. We was doing right, exactly. Yep, we were more authentic. To Flashing work. them, the first rappers. I hate rappers. The first MCs who rapped. <laughs> The first MCs and DJs who made records had no MCs and DJs to look up to. Right. So when they got in showbiz, their idols was Parliament Funkadelic, Rolling Stones, and Rick James. So because they got showbiz, oh, now we need to do what the Temptations and everybody did. And they did. did look like the village people. No shots, exactly. but they, they like Parliament they Funkadelic. Up to like, show business. Yeah. Our idols was the breakdancers, graffiti writers, and DJs and MCs the from the Treacherous park. Three, right? The Fantastic Before Four, show business fame. Okay, with fame, they, they, yo, did, did when you saw Modi wearing a pair of British walkers and a mock neck and an alpaca, Melly Mel used to wear mock necks and sheepskins. There was a hardness. So, to your sound. Rapper's Delight because coming out of disco, right, the rhymes right. were kind of well, sing Well, hip-hop came out of disco. but It, it did, but your sound was hard. Right, exactly. And that's because, <laughs> that's because of the real pioneers. Now, people don't realize there was two types of hip-hop in the beginning of hip-hop. There was an older hip-hop that was already in the clubs that most of the young kids didn't know. I didn't know about him. Run knew about him because his brother was Russell Simmons, 
who, before Rap Records was even made, was a party promoter. He right. would hire Flash and Bam. He would go rent a PAL and hire Flash and Bam to do inside what they were doing on the streets, right. which was so powerful that when the promoter stood at the door and said, you got to give me $5 to hear what you can hear in the park for the streets, she was like, hell no. But as soon as they turned the music on for sound check, he said, hey, I got to get my $5. <laughs> so our sound, Rappers of Light is a perfect example. The hip hop, the hip, the hip, the hip, hip, hip hop, it don't There stop. was... People don't realize there was the DJ rapping man. I'm a man in a, I'm the, remember every, the fat boys were the disco three. We wanted to, we were kids. Young people wanted to be disco. So there was the DJ rapping man. I'm here to say and have some fun. I'm the disco man here to get, that was the older dudes that was in the club. The young kids that didn't get in the club, we was like emulating the Frankie them. Crocker style. Yes, Eddie Chibas and Frank and DJ Hollywood guys. You were coming from. I came from um, DJ Breakout and DJ Baron in a funky four plus one in the park. Grandmaster Kaz. Grandmaster Kaz, uh, Disco Wiz, the, the park guys that were talking about sneakers and ice cream and stuff like that. But even mm. you guys were harder than that. The way you rap, the sound of That's it. That's because of the old school pop. Before Modi became Modi solo, he was in the Treacherous Three. Yeah. And if you listen to... Um, Love rap, Spoonie G, big shout out to Spoonie G. The new rap language, if you if you listen to the Treacherous Three, they will rock the body, body, rock the body, body, rock. The hip hop was, it was, it was harder back then. You know what I'm saying? Before Rappers Delight and the message and stuff like that, Melly Mel was a Melly Mel, y'all, a rock well, y'all, or from the top of the world trades to the depths of hell, I'm Melly. That was hip-hop to me. That other stuff was like, I didn't like Rapper's Delight. The only thing I liked, to, liked about Rapper's Delight was Big Bang Hank's rhyme about Superman. Because I was in the comic book, so I could relate to that, which super- was Grandmaster Cash rhyme. Mm-hmm. The other dudes was, have you ever went over your friend's house to eat in the food? And no, that's some other shit, Tori. <laughs> but, um, but if, um, 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 you know, um, you, you, um, um, flying through the air... And, and throughout the night, you got an S on your chest. That was that was hip hop. Because you that was because you took the superhero aesthetic into your MCing. Right. Because Mo and them and Mel and the breakdancers spinning and fl- it was like the, it was like the comic books came to life. But you were pretending to be a superhero. Yeah, I was pretending to be the most powerful entity in the hip hop universe. But it was all pretend. You got to understand. Here's one reason that Run DMC worked so well was Run saw hip-hop being birthed in his living room. Right. With his brother. He would come home, Curtis Blows passed out on a couch. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, DJ Hollywood's ringing his door to get his money from Russell from the, for them jam at the high school last night. Right. So Run saw, wow, Bentleys <laughs> and, and mansions. You know, it's who he is now. Me, on the other hand, I'm pretending, like this is before Rappers of Light, I'm pretending to be a super-powered entity to escape this world that I'm living in because I'm a straight-A Catholic school-reading nerd that wears glasses who likes comic books that doesn't fit into this world. So hip-hop for me was like a release. Uh, Run saw hip-hop as a show business, 
get paid uh, 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 economic, street, cultural, invigorating opportunity, which it was to a lot of people. I come from the from the generation of those kids. Like Jazzy J first did it because he loved it. Want to DJ and be create an experiment. You know, I live in the Bronx and life is bullshit and it's miserable, but I'm going to go to the bar and play for my music and make people happy. And Grand Wizard Theodore didn't scratch for a dollar. He scratched because he discovered something that was scientifically and metaphysically and spiritually enhancing to his fucking um, mundane existence of death, destruction darkness and despair so for me i had a great life in my house two parents you know what i'm saying uh my father was a a a boiler man for transit authority my mother was a nurse my brother my, i had a gate around my house. i lived in a gated community down middle there. class yeah he mowed the lawn he had the poor man's cadillac electric 225 the poor man's Cadillac. so me coming outside of my house to into this real world I find that it was totally different for me. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't, I couldn't believe when I was like, I couldn't believe when I was a kid, there was kids like 12 to 16 years old that were stick up kids and robbing houses. And like, it was just crazy. And I didn't fit into that. You know what I'm saying? We're in school, in the street, you were a nerd. Yes. In the street, I was, until hip hop came along and gave me confidence. I thought I didn't fit in, but when I heard hip-hop, hip-hop for me was like, oh, shoot, you could tell stories about who you are over this music like that? So it made me not afraid to... to run used to always bug me out. If you wore a hat when we was younger, you would get looked at. So to not be seen, you didn't want to do anything that was going to attack the attention of the hard rocks. You know what I'm saying? And the guys that sold weed and the gangbangers and stuff like that. Hip-hop gave me... I'm wearing my hat and nobody's... I don't know what I would have did if they tried, but it gave me the confidence to put on my golf hat. Remember golf hats back in the day? Uh-huh. I had my red, my red little golf hat. I put it on. My red little lids, as you call them now. I put it on and I walked around and nobody would touch me. But later on, I found out nobody would mess with me because everybody thought I was... Um, Wendell Fight, who later on became DJ Hurricane's brother. Okay. Who was running around with Jam Master. Jam Master J and them, when they was in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, the way Run DMC looked, that's how Hurricane and Jay went to school. Right, right. That was so, Jay's normal look. But hip hop gave me the confidence to not be a Hurricane, who became the Beastie Boys DJ. Yeah. I remember, yeah. people remember him with that. They wore those Run DMC Godfather hats in Adidas shell toes in ninth grade. Right. You know what I'm saying? And before, you know, selling drugs and um, and I'm selling weed, you would go get a job so you could have two pair Adidas or Pumas or whatever. So for me, what I was trying to say was, for me, when I heard hip hop, um, it was like, oh shoot, um, good things are cool. I didn't know that some of the dudes standing there with the gold chains and stuff liked good things until I heard the funky four plus one, um. Um, Busy B, Busy B, Starsky, talking about up in the morning, out to school, teacher teaching the golden rule, American history, and oh wow, these guys go to school, like a the Bronx. I thought the I thought none of the kids in the Bronx went to school. I thought you know they were all, I thought they were all sons of Superfly and Fred Williamson, hell up in Harlem, because I lived in Queens. I was isolated. I didn't know what was going on in Harlem until hip hop came and showed me 
that these kids who have a worse life than me are no different from me. And talk about how you combined the superhero aesthetic that you okay. were reading about with your hip-hop persona. Right. I, I grew up, all I cared about was comic books. Then I heard what hip-hop. Were you, what, what, was your, what were your comic books? You Marvel read? comic books. I had deep, Batman was the first comic book I brought just because of the way it looked. Who were like, your favorites out of the Marvel? Oh, Captain America, Spider-Man, and the Hulk were my three favorites. And, and I could really rock. I love the stories with Captain America because he was frozen in ice and he woke up 70 years in the late and the world had completely changed. But he still stuck to his true core values of honesty and righteousness and truth. And, you know, it's one thing to, to rebel for gain. He rebelled for principle. And I was I respected that. You know what I'm saying? And Spider-Man, I related to Spider-Man, Peter Parker, because he was a geek and a nerd like me. He was awkward existing in the world. And he lived in Queens. <laughs> Right, you know, Gotham and, and Metropolis was fictional. Right, but Stan Lee was brilliant because he put the superheroes really in New York City. Right, so it was real to me. You know what I'm saying? And the Hulk, I related to the Hulk because of the struggle that we have with ourselves. The Hulk doesn't like Banner. Banner wants to get rid of the Hulk, but just he don't know what to do. How do how do you know how do how do you get rid of this? You know what I'm saying? And then. The other struggle, the other reason why I liked the Hulk was a stupid little kid reason. And a stupid little kid reason is this. My mother's name is Banner, like Hannah. Okay. H-A-N-N-A-H. But my mo- mother's name is Banner, B-A-N-N-A, Banner McDaniels. And he's David Banner. Bruce Banner. But, you know, when you're a stupid little kid, four years old, oh, wow, the Hulk's Dr. Bruce Banner's my mother's name. And it's just stuck with me. So those were the three guys. The Hulk seems to be more like the dichotomy you're talking about right that's why you're smart on the in the real and then you transform into strong and powerful right yeah i didn't transform into strong and powerful till hip-hop came into my life right right so what had happened was when i first heard hip-hop i was easy d and because my name's daryl starts with a d and it's easy i was just writing rhymes for me all right, I was just going to write some rhymes and talk about, hey, I'm Easy D. I come from Queens. I like going out on sunny days. I go down to the Ave to check out Maze. Maze was a department store in New York City. Maze and Gertz and um, Times Squares and Corvettes. Way back in the day, Maze was one of the stores. So I would write rhymes because, you know, Rappers of Light gave me the blueprint, you know, telling stories and stuff like that. So this is before I incorporated my superpowers in it. It was just basically, I like going out on sunny days. I go down to the Ave to check out Maze at the cheapest spots. I make stops. I buy B-Doves, British walkers from Revel, Revel Knox. And with my Chiba, I roll bats. I buy Kangos from Stetson Hats. I take the bus that they call the two. They are green and white and white and blue. And I was just writing rhymes about this. I'm Daryl and I eat chicken and collard greens, this and that. So that was hip hop to me. And that's what... That was my Robert. Just sit in the basement. This is for me. I wouldn't tell nobody I had. My mother didn't know I was doing it. Nobody knew. Run didn't know. My classmen, nobody knew. But this was my release. It was my perfect time. And you were already friends with Run at this time? Not friends. We went to the same elementary school. He was always in the other class. My best friend growing up was this fat black guy named Douglas Hayes, Butter Love from Hollis, who people used to come to um, um, Catholic um, Catholic basketball league, PSA, whatever that thing is, 
the Catholic Diocese Basketball League. They had JV Junior Varsity and Varsity. Mark Jackson. Big shout out to Mark Jackson. The bell player, the coach, the commentator. People used to go to the games, see Mark Jackson score 40. St. John's University. Yeah, he, he went there too. My friend Butter, he was really nice with his hands. He could fight well. And he could he had the best jump shot in New York City. Okay. So people would say to see Mark Jackson, JV game first, score 40. You wouldn't leave because you're gonna see Butter score 50. Okay. So he was like my best friend. And he was exactly, he looks exactly like Cedric the Entertainer. Okay. He was funny, boom, bang. So he kind of was my my um my defense in the hood. Oh no, don't mess with Daryl, that's Butterman. So I was good then. You know what I'm saying? So I'm writing all of these rhymes for me. Run was in the other, other. I was always in the smart class. That's real funny. <laughs> he was always in the other class or whatever. So we know each other. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Joe. But we wasn't hanging together. So I'm writing all these rhymes. And in eighth grade, what had happened was we went to St. Pascal Baylon Elementary School. Me and Butter was in the same class from kindergarten to 12th grade. So I was like, you couldn't see Butter without Daryl being there. You know what I'm saying? So in eighth grade, this in the, in our schoolyard, there was one basketball rim. And it was in that schoolyard when I first heard hip-hop, too. Billy Morris, I was in the seventh grade. Billy Morris was in the eighth grade. And me, David Sinclair, and somebody else was playing ball. And Billy, the eighth grader, calls us over. Yo, come in. So we kids, we act like we don't hear him. You know what I'm saying? Because he's in the elder guy. He knew he knew all the kids in the public schools. Okay. So he was like, yo, come in. So we act like we know him. And it was one of those things when you knew you was in trouble when the dude said, yo, I ain't going to say it again. <laughs> so I go to my friends and say, yo, look, it's one of him is three of us. If he tries anything, we just go and jump his ass. I don't even know if we would have jumped his ass. I just said that. That gave us the confidence to walk over because we was like, what the fuck Billy want us for? He probably want us to smoke some reefer or something. Like, you know, it's like, we kids. We don't care about that. So we walk over and he had a little cassette tape, the flat cassettes. This is before boxes even exist. The flat cassettes that all anybody who's older like me know in school, you, you, you see, they used to give the, the learning center, put the little plastic headphones on. So he pushed play and that shit said, doom, and then a voice said, when you mess around in New York town, you go down with the disco Chiba clown. You go down, go down, go down. You just keep the pep in your step. You don't stop till you get on the mountaintop. And when you reach the top, you reach the peak. That's when you hear at the Chiba speak and it stopped. And it was static. We was like, yo, do that again. We stood there for three hours listening to like, it was like a minute and 30 seconds or whatever that was. That was when I first heard hip hop. But after that, I went back to my kid life. So now, it's eighth grade now. Um, there was one basketball rim in the schoolyard. And in eighth grade, this guy named David McEachin, who was like tall like Jabbar, came and he dunked and he broke it. So now, the Catholic school kids have nowhere to play basketball because <laughs> you can't go to the to the neighborhood park because the public school's there. Right. You got your uniform, you got your bag that says St. Pascal Baylon, they're going to take your money. Even if you ain't got no money, they're going to make you take your shoes off and make you walk home barefoot, which is miserable. Mm. It's 
mess. I'm glad I got my revenge on all of them. <laughs> so what happened was when it happened, hey, don't worry, Byford and Banner McDaniels are here to save the day. I had a basketball rim in my backyard. Okay. So now after school, we don't have to go to the park. We could still go to Daryl's house and play ball after school. So that's what the kids would do. So one particular day out of the 100 days that we would play in the backyard, only Joseph Simmons came over by herself. So we played basketball. After we finished playing basketball, what I would usually do, I would go Who's in Who was better? Huh? Who was better? Joe was way better. Way, way <laughs> okay, better. Okay. Yeah, way, way, way better. I didn't even want a basketball room in my backyard. Okay. okay. I was going to make people come to my house. I wanted to stay in my house, read my comic books, and write my rhymes alone. Like, it was my world. Okay. And my brother, oh, let me forget, my brother Alfred, the, oh, he was three years older than me, so they lived, you know what I'm saying, the older kids did everything. So this particular day, what I would usually do, I'd go in the house and get the Dixie cups and a pitcher of water and bring it to the back door and give all the kids water because the rule was when he was younger, my mother and father was never home. What's the rule? If there's no adults home, you can't have company. Remember that rule? You don't, I don't want no kids in this house if no adults in there. This particular day, it was just Joe. So I said, come on in and get the water. So when I let him in to get the water, he saw... Me and, well, it was my brother's turntable set up. And he was like, yo, you do that? And I said, no. I said, my brother does that. And then he goes, yo, my brother's Russell Simmons. I was like, Russell Simmons? He said, you ever see those flyers on the telephone poles that say Rush Production, Russ Presents, Grandmaster Flash, DJ? I said, yeah, yeah, I see those all the time. He said, yeah, that's my brother. My brother promotes the party, this and that. I'm known as the son of Curtis Blow. I heard of Curtis Blow. Yeah, it's, I'm known as son of Curtis Blow. This, this is age 16, 15? This is 15. Okay. Yeah, 15 years old. I'm the son of Curtis Blow, yeah. When school's not in in the summertime, I'll go rap and DJ with Curtis Blow and stuff like that. So you know, I was kind of open to that, and I was like that. And I said, well, yeah, I do I do that a little bit and stuff like that. So after that, when Ron would come over, he would bring me all these cassettes of the live performances that he was at. Crash Crew, him, Curtis Blow, DJ Hollywood. Um, um, his adversary coming up was a kid named DJ Smalls, who was the son of DJ Hollywood. So it was okay. Curtis Blow running it. So he was showing me all of that, whatever, whatever. And then I was telling him that um, I would hear all of these um, tapes. I would, all, I would hear all these cassette tapes of Grandmaster Flash. So at first I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted. I was known as Grandmaster Get High because you didn't need weed or um, old English because my music would intoxicate you. So I was Grandmaster <laughs> Get High in my basement. <laughs> I'm gonna get you high. And I heard um, a quick mix of Flash doing "Spinning Good Times" and "Super Sperm Soup Soup" like doing a quick mix. So I learned to do all that myself. So one day after school, I was like, "Yo, Joe, let me show you what I could do." And I did the "Good Times, Good Times," the Flash. He was like, "Yo, that's crazy." And Ron was like, "Yo, could you teach me to do that?" Because Ron could DJ, but he didn't know how to quick mix and stuff like that. So I told him how to DJ, and one particular day, remember, I said I was writing these rhymes for me. When it was my turn to DJ, I remember the day we was eating potato chips and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, because I would always bring kids in my kids over to my house and get <laughs> come to the back door. I would give out all the food that was in my house. My mother thought it was crazy. She said, it's good to be nice, but you're too fucking generous. <laughs> you give motherfuckers all the food like this. I, Wonder Bread, I would give make every kid on my block a sandwich and then there would be no brand house. <laughs> Father come on pissed like, ah, what are we going to do with this boy? But make a long story short, one day we was in the basement and Run found my, my rhyme books. 
And he looked at it and he said, yo, Daryl, you wrote these? And I was like, yeah. And he just looked at me. And this was in eighth grade. He said, yo, whenever my brother Russell lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. And I just looked at him like, what? What the hell did you just say? What? Like, what? I don't do, like, what the? It just went and it was never thought. So that was in eighth grade. So when I first was writing my rhymes, I was sticking to what was being given to me on the Rappers Delight records. At the same time, I would hear tapes, and it's because of Billy Morris, I noticed that the thing that was on that Eddie Chiba tape is what they do in a park all summer. Run was in that world. I would just note, oh, the thing, I didn't care, I'm on my bike. Oh, the park jam is the thing on the tape, but who cares? I didn't care about that. I was My whole life was different. So when I went to Rice, this is the thing that changed me. I went to Rice High School. 124th Street and Lenox Avenue, right around the corner from 125th Street. Down the block was the Apollo. In ninth grade, all boys Catholic high school, congregation of Irish Christian brothers. So I get to Rice High School in ninth grade. All of these, right, the message is out. Or Part Beat is out. Planet Rock is out. The bre- All of the, the early rap songs is out. I get to ninth grade in Rice High School. All the kids in my in, in Rice were from the Bronx and Manhattan. So this one kid named Terrence, Wa- Terrence Washington, every weekend at the end of the school school week, he would come with the big cassette carry case thing, and he would sell tapes. Oh shoot, um, Funky Four Plus One, um, um, you know, DJ Hollywood. He had all the tapes of hip hop before Rapper's Delight. So I was, I started hearing that. It was different from the message. It was different. It was, you know, it was, it was Africa Bambana in the Zulu Nation. See to the apple, apple to the core. I am the man with the rhymes galore. Rock a rhyme for me and then a rhyme for you. And it wasn't the disco samples. It was Billy Squire's Big Beat. It was mm-hmm. Aerosmith's Walk This Way. It was Queen's We Will. There'll be the part on the tape, and all of a sudden, Bam would just throw on um, We Will Rock You, and it would just go boosh, boosh, gosh, boosh, boosh, gosh, boosh, boosh, back. Ladies and gentlemen, boosh, boosh, back. DJ Africa, Bam, bada, bada. And when I first heard Bam, bada, I was scared of that shit. Mm. I was, what do I was like, I was scared to listen to a Bam tape. Cause I didn't. I'm so used to the, the you know, MC Easy and this and that and cool. I was like, what the fuck is a bambata? But the beats that they were using was much much louder. But more importantly, what they were talking about, you know, what I'm saying, I take the train, the three train in the park last night. Yo, ice cream cones, this and that. So it was different from I'm a disco DJ, rapping man. I'm here to make it. They wasn't talking about Jordash, say Jordash, and they wasn't doing that. What's your name and what's your sign? They were just talking about who they were. So when I heard that, my whole rhyme style changed up. So now Easy D is becoming, um, um, you know, more, I got more rhymes than you, but then you can produce. I get on the mic, I turn apart. So I'm starting to run. Stronger, I'm starting to tougher. add more, yeah, more tough than me. So that was ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. The superhero thing came in when in, in, um, 12, in 12, 19, yeah. 12th grade, 1981. Um, I was the class of 82. In 1981, Terrence Washington had a tape that 
was in a special corner. And I was like, yo, what's that? He was like, yo, that's the Cold Crush versus the Fantastic Five at Harlem World. Mm. I was like, yo, what's that? I said, why is that one $12? Because all the other tastes was $4, $3. He said, yo, because that one's $12. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, man, I got to have that tape. So I remember I saved my allowance and I came, yo, Terrence, I wanted that tape, but I only had $9. And I was like, yo, I'll, I'll owe you the rest. You know what I'm saying? So he was like, okay, this, this guy really wants the tape. So he gives me the tape. So I take the tape home. And comic books had taught me um, in life to find yourself with an adjective and then tell the world who you are. So I was always waiting for some opportunity to do that. Because what um, not only did um, Marvel comic books give me a geographical le lesson, lesson about the city I lived in. I couldn't leave my block. So every time I'm opening up the Marvel comic books, I saw Hell's Kitchen. I saw the Low East Side. So from comic books, I knew what New York was like. Sam Wilson, Captain America's new black partner, lived up in the ghetto and stuff like that. So I, I wasn't a fan. I, I didn't... Uh, my mother and father didn't let me go see Chef and Superfly like all the other kids okay. whose parents didn't love them this real <laughs> So my education was, you know, I didn't get to see um, Coffee and Pam Grimm movies. So my education to what was going on in those movies was, was the Marvel comic books. So I take this tape home, and I was always waiting for that. This is kind of like it's my origin. Marvel comic books taught me define yourself with an adjective and tell the world who you are the way that my superheroes is. The Incredible Hulk, the Amazing Spider-Man, um, 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 the Invincible Iron Man. So all that was in me. I take this tape home, and most of the other tapes was always like, you know, it was a show. Ladies and gentlemen, 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 introducing to you DJ Africa, bam, bada, bada, DJ, that, and they would go in. And, you know, this is from tapes. I didn't know what it looked like. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't even know what it felt like, but I, I was just getting a—I was just getting a, a, an appetizer of what it was really like and what this hip hop really could do for you. But this particular tape, home, I took it home, I put it in my brother's Samuel box, and it came on. Um, what's up, fly guys? What's up? No, what's up, fly guys? Hello, fly girls. It's the big showdown at Harlem World. Cold Crush 4 versus Fantastic 5. They ain't no comp. We'll eat them alive. Because we're the best when it comes to rapping. And like the flyer said, it was bound to happen. So the time is now. Let the battle begin and let the crowd be the judge of who win. And then this shit said, we don't need tuxedos. Because all we want to do is draw Kevin Dot. Master Robin Whip and Ruby D like we always do. Say what? We battle fantastic. And here's a little gift. Before they go, they all can know. And I never heard just who they're fucking with. <laughs> it's Charlie Chase, Tony Tone, and the co-crushing motherfucking tough-ass four MCs. It was like... It was, I turned into the Hulk that day. I was like, what? I had never heard rap like this. You know what I'm saying? I had never heard a tape like this. And then they just went into some, like everybody always talked about how good they were. I'm Melly Mel and you know I rock well. No, I don't, motherfucker. You saying you do, but I don't know it. These motherfuckers was doing it. And this, I couldn't see what was going on, but I felt it. 
Then they just started into, hey, y'all, yes, it's true. The Four's got a brand new song for you. We got routine rhymes and dances too. So what you want to do? We got Chase, Tone, and The Four. You never heard, like the words they would use, you never heard a crew like this before. And the way we rock the house is against the law. That shit was just... You know what I'm saying? What's he said? I'm good in the hood. No, they would say, the way we rock the house is against the law. We got much more. Grandmaster Cass, raising hell. And I'm the heartbreaker called JDL. I'm Easy A, don't forget the D. And I'm KG, the almighty. The way they presented it was like, you had to accept. You didn't wait to see. No doubt, we're the best. They said it. With the CC4, you do not mess. And if there's a battle, the four won't fest. So they did that. So then right after that routine, they went into this routine where they took Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle, which was one of my favorite records growing up. Just because child was born just the other day. Came into the world in a usual way, but it was it was just now 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 that record, sad record about a father the, yeah, who yeah. didn't have time for the son. Crazy. I would always hear that record on um um on on um um seventies rock radio, New York seventy seven WABC or something like that. So they took that melody and then they started doing this thing with the initials of their name. Um, that shit said they said not talking about your uncle. Not talking about your mother, not talking about your father, not your mother, no other, no other, 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 other MCs can't deal with us because we are the four known as the Coke Crush, putting fellas on a jock, making fly girls rock. You know we got a funky song, so you can come and sing and dance along. We got the two DJs on the wheels of steel, Charlie Chase and Tony Tone, and it, it was just the way they was describing like this, I was like flashing the motherfuckers. Don't do it like this. Like it was just a whole nother level. But then it, they said, um, uh, Charlie Chase and Tony Tone. So you come and sing a dance along. Um, um, you come and sing a dance song. We are the four MCs with the most respect. And if you want to throw joints, you better come correct. We might have to take you out and put your crew in check because the CC4 is number one. You got to walk before you run. What hell? Then they went off. They broke off. The initials of my name are GMC, Grandmaster Cass. You can search all your life and you'll never see a higher powered body, body rocker in the galaxy. I'm the first and never last. What's your name? I'm the Grandmaster Cash. Well, hell, the initials of my name are JDL. I want to go to heaven before I go to hell and I'll be pushing more power than a Duracell. Better than the oldest and the newest. What's your name? My name is Jerry D. Lewis. What hell? The initials of my name are EAD. The baddest thing to hit New York since OE. That rhyme blew my mind. <laughs> That's fly, right? The, because OE, I was like, wow. Rock, rock upon a mic and turn the galaxy. Um, I supreme. Then he said, the initials of my name are AKG. And if you're smart, you won't try the best with me. So it was Grandmaster Cass, Easy AD. And the almighty KG. Right then and there that day, 12th grade, 1981, Daryl Matthews McDaniels, who was rapping as Easy D, said, no, the initials of my name, D from Daryl MC, from um, McDaniels, Easy D, Daryl McDaniels, transformed into DMC, the devastating mic controller. So then I just went home and started writing all these rhymes. Uh, now I, I am the most powerful entity in this hip-hop world. Like Now it's all pretending. I'm pretending. To be part of that, what the Cold Crush is doing. So now I'm writing all of these rhymes. I graduate 12th grade. 
class of 82 in June. August of 82, the phone rang. It's Joe. Yo, remember four years ago when I said, whenever my brother lets me make a record? Yeah. Grab your round books. We're going to the studio. We're going to make a record. So I guess what happened with me is I had to be prepared. Like I had to go through this. I didn't know what the hell was about to happen. But when Joe said that, I didn't know that was going to come to fruition. Mm. But because my, my my foray into it, Russell, Run was always asking Russell, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Russell, let me make a record. No, Joey, no. Russell making a record. No, no. He, was, he, he got on Russell's nerves so much that Russell said, okay, Joey, here's the deal. You show me a diploma, I'll let you make a record. Because what if your record don't hit? You got to have something to fall back on. So I guess in those four years, while well, I was being primed and educated at Rice, because the universe had spoke to Joe, you have no idea, son. You, you, you're going to be doing something. I had to go take three buses, three trains and two buses to Rice to hear hip-hop before it got on records so that when Run put me in the group, we could bring the thing that we brought. Because Run, Run and Russell... They were, Curtis Blow was making, these are the great records. The breaks, breaks on the bus, breaks on the car. That was rap. Curtis Blow, people don't know, had the original first Christmas song. Right. Christmas, Christmas rapping. Right. So all of these things, when Joe put me in the group, I didn't come from that showbiz hip hop right. that evolved out the park. I came with that. Right. So I, we put that with Joe. Here's the kid that this is pretend to him. Here's the kid where it's real. You put those two things together, you're going to manifest some. Here's the kid that, yo, this shit is just a hobby. Here's the kid to him. It's a business. You put that together, it's going to be it's going to be spectacular. Here's the kid that's going to do it. We need to make a record. That's why we made it like that. We had to make a commercial record. Originally, it's like that was went like this before I got there. It's like that was over a disco R&B type song. Larry Smith, our first producer, Boom, back, boom, 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 it's like that. It was one of those. Runs rhyme. We, Larry was going to have us rhyme. Unemployment at a record high. People coming, people going, people born to die. Don't ask me because I don't know why, but it's like that. And then I was supposed to go, people in the world trying to make ends meet. Try very hard. Um, travel, travel by car, train, bus of feet. Trying to work hard if you want to compete. It's like that. When I went in Larry's attic, I was sitting there. Yo, this is bullshit, man. This is that disco old man stuff, man. We got to do it like the Cold Crush. We got to do it like um, African Bambada and the Zulu Nation. And Larry's like, what are you talking about? Because Larry was a bass player. He was in a band. He was making Allison Record, Allison Williams, Jimmy Spicer, the Bubble Bunch. They was making that type shit. I was like, did you hear Planet Rock? What do you mean? Soul Sonic Force, Mr. Biggs, Pow Wow, and MC Glow. I said, we got to do, that's the thing. That's the thing they were doing before so it's like that turned into unemployed. So much angrier, tougher, stronger, right, just stro- just harsher, stronger, yeah. right? Just strong. I'm not in a disco. I'm in my basement. I just got finished reading Silver Surfer. I mean, so I'm not trying to. Room. I'm not trying to be accepted. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do what they were doing in the parks before Rappers of Light gave us a form. But I wasn't subconsciously so, doing it. It was just better than me. Like Rick Rubin even said, yo, I wanted to make the records like they were sounding on the tapes in the clubs. So this has given us a sense of how you come in to run DMC. Exactly. And, and R- once- Suck MCs was run record himself. He had to put me on at the end. That's why I only rhymed for 30 seconds. And, 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 and so 
we a lot of us know the history of Run DMC because you were the first superstars do everything. of hip hop. Right. First go go, first go platinum, first all that corny stuff. This is not corny. It's important. It's important. But, it's corny though. But, I didn't but, know I was going to do that. But when I found out I could do that, that's when I got to. Press. There was a subtext. Well, that's what I want to talk about because right. there was a subtext that people don't know. Don't know. When does the drinking start? When does the depression start? All right, that's a great question. Everybody drunk old English. That's why Easy E said the baddest thing that hit New York since O E. Weed is something different. Weed is more melancholy, relaxing, mellow, stuff like that. Alcohol gives you a false sense of power. So when I got in a group, I just want to pretend to be Modiv for real with Run. That's that's how I was getting through. And it was he. Run was the leader, front man, whatever. Suck him C record. I wasn't supposed to be on it. Run made me get on it. Suck him C record. And it was like, Daryl, get on the record. Because Russell thought I could write and perform with Joe, but he didn't see me as an artist. Run knew Russell. You had no idea because Run was with me in the basement watching me. So Run throws me on Suck him C's. And then Russell becomes my best friend because I wrote Run of the Deafest Rhyme. I'm DMC. And the play Run was like, yo, D, just go in there and say your newest rhyme. So when we recorded our first record, I'm thinking fame is when Mr. Magic plays it. I'm not even thinking if anybody buy it. Fame the is ultimate, when Mr. Magic or Red Alert radio DJ of Now I'm there. But Mo D and I'm a still, I'm not even nowhere near them. So I just said my DMC rhyme. Now Russell says, whoa, this is crazy. So from that day on, what happened with your D? Every time we go to school, what do you got? What you write last night? And we would make songs out of all the stuff that I was writing. So in the beginning, when I was, Run still was the front man, but Run started saying, D, you got to go out there and start the show. And I'm like, hell fucking no. You fucking son of Curtis Ball. I'm just your sidekick, motherfucker. Like this. And Run helps Jay. We put Jay down at his day. Jay want to instigate. Nah, D, you got to go out there and make some fly. You make shit like Jay would suit me up. Yo, you fly, man. Yo, you're brilliant. This, I'm like, yeah, I am, but I'm still scared to death. You know, you, you got to go out there and start the show. So I didn't know all I had to do was do what I was doing when I first started writing. I felt I needed some help, so I would drink a 40 before I go on stage. So that would make give me the confidence to go in front of Roxy's. That would give me the confidence to go on a stage in front of Apollo Theater or, or Dance Interior. This is World. early, early career. This is like this first first record. Just his first thing before the album. Drink Watch one under. to get the confidence, and then it right. became two. Well, no, I already drunk one before I got to wherever we was going. Right. Drank the second one to, to, to give me the confidence to go out there. And Joe, but it you're all- big. Two two 40s is not making you drunk. Yeah, hell yeah. So that you're going part, on stage drunk. Different. Not drunk, nice. 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 You get drunk when you drink five 40s. That came 86, raise a hell. So in the beginning, it was just giving me the confidence to go out there and say, one, two, three, in the place to be, as it is plain to see, he is DJ Run, and I am DMC, funky fresh for 1983, DJ, so, you know, I need the confidence, it's done, now we go into the show, so that's basically what the, the, the drinking was, giving me my confidence in the beginning, and that's all it was. And why did it keep going? Because the career got bigger. 
and you needed more liquid more confidence. confidence. Yes. Bigger, bigger arena, more yeah, exactly. More yeah. buzz. Two forties for the, the two hundred people at the fever. Three forties for the um a thousand people at at, at Roxy. Five forties for upstate at Apollo. What'd you drink before Live Aid? Nothing. That was early in the morning, but I still hung over from the other night. Didn't, I didn't have time. Live A, we was in Philly. Yo, get up. We're getting on a plane. We're flying to um, DC. You're going to do Live A and you're going to fly back and do the Raising Hell tour. So when I, when I was drinking, when I was drinking, let's say 640s, the lesser guys in the crew were drinking three. So it wasn't like it was a problem to me, if you understand what I'm it saying. It became like a problem that. later when I started needing to drink a case. What elevated was you would drink a case in a sitting, you know, in a day, throughout a whole day. That was like eighty-seven to like ninety was a whole case a day. But in the beginning, it it wasn't unusual to have the guy in your crew. I think what helped me in the beginning, I was drinking eight forties, but I was moving and jumping, sweating, and this and that. It's different from the guy in the hood that drinks eight forties, fat, and he died at forty. That wasn't the case for me. Eventually, it was going to catch up to me. So in the beginning, it was my confidence. It was I needed the confidence, and then after a while, it became a, ne- a necessary need. Subconsciously, I re- once I got so I realized I didn't need none of that, but just for that. And, and the, this is what had happened. I was doing what I was doing just because it was fun to do it. Now Joe put me down this and that. Other people are seeing results from it. So the more, the better the results, the more results, the, the better result, the better the results, the more better results people around you want. You did a single, you did a single, we're going to do an album, the album went gold, we're going to do another album, that album went plat, so it's just the more and more and more. So I went from having hit records with ease. Whatever I do, um, Jam Master J, whatever he touched turns to gold. That works when you're sincere and it's um, um, there's no destination. What started to happen to me was, look, if I needed confidence to go and do the intro, intro when I'm thinking in my mind, no, I'm a sidekick, but now I got to be the front. I can't do that, so I had to replace. I had to find the can-do from a source outside of me. So now it's still working though. From what I'm, what we're creating, Run J and D are putting us in. What started to happen to me was, I had a lot of hit records. Now, yo, you need a hit record. I was getting on the radio. Yo, you need to get on the radio. You know, Russell was saying, yo, you need to, yo, you need to chart. So now it's becoming More an pressure. obligation, right? So now I'm not just going to drink before the show. I'm gonna drink before I go to the studio. I'm going to drink before I see Russell because he's going to tell me some shit that I don't want to hear. And I'm not confident enough to say, motherfucker, no, I ain't doing none of that shit. Couldn't you know, say so I'm no. in now. I can't let Joe down. I can't let Jay down. So, you know what I'm saying? I need help. I need somebody with me. Not knowing that Daryl, I'm with you. Did, did, did. There's no Dar- DMC if there's no Daryl. I'm because of, because of the manifestation of the whole success I'm thinking I need something else to help me continue to do what I can do naturally. So that's where the drinking. The drinking was, you know, old English became my best friend. Was it always old English or did it shift? No, it was always old English. It was all but at nighttime, though, it was um 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 
Um, Bacardi, remember in the 80s, Bacardi and Cokes and Screw. Remember Rusky used to always drink screwdrivers. Mm-hmm. That was his drink mm-hmm. of choice. So at nighttime, when we would go dance Interior World, Roxy Fever. Remember, screwdrivers was vodka cool. and orange juice. Yeah. Was, and the bad thing about screwdrivers for me is orange juice, so it's healthy. That's that's me so rationalizing. where did the depression start to come in? The depression started to come in. I'll tell you exactly when. So everything up to Raising Hell was easy. What I mean by that was it was just easy because we were just getting together, being Run DMC. After Raising Hell, motherfuckers is telling us we need to be Run DMC. So tougher than leather... We started reaching outside of a, outside of ourselves creatively, because we damn near built this industry. And now, after raising hell, by the time Tougher Than Leather dropped, Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest, Coogee Rap, everybody who worshipped us was able to be inspired to do them. Everybody wanted to be Run DMC, but they realized they didn't need to wear glasses, Adidas, and make the song. They could just beat them. So by them being sincere to themselves, they had phenomenal success. So in this world that we built by just being who we were, when we starting to try to be us, these people are just being themselves. Now we're looking at their success saying we need to do that. So now we're bringing in other producers. You know what I'm saying? We're making records. Just we need to make a radio record. I love Eric's brother, Treese. always said, what the fuck? Suck Up Seas was a motherfucking radio record. The shit was so dope, the radio had to play it. So mm-hmm. I don't understand, you know, you're sitting there with the A&R and the guy, you need to make me a record that could play on the radio. Look, I can make a record with a flute and a fucking toy fucking drum with some dope lyrics. They're going to play that shit, you know, they will. outside. So 80, it was tougher than leather. It was like, creatively, I'm uncomfortable doing it because I don't like that. You know what I'm saying? I like... Led Zeppelin. I liked the. I liked us making Suckum Seas. You know, what I'm saying I liked. Um, well, why don't we make um a, 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 when Flash and them did that live thing with the B box, B box. Yeah. Why didn't thing. we? Why didn't we just keep making those? Like when what I like about the BCs, even when they made um in the '90s when they did Intergalactic, it was still the Beasties on the track. Sure. So what had happened was now. The, the, we, we brought all this attention to our culture and then the music, you know, all of the Dr. Dre, all of we looking at their success thinking instead of competing with them and busting their ass, like the Cold Crush did on the battle table with the Fantastic Five, we trying to assimilate and be them. So it's just little things where since Jay was the guy in the streets, yo, we started incorporating New Jack Swing in our records. We did faces. We did, um, um, we did, um, we did faces. We did paws. Jason started hanging around um, 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 Sam Sever. So now we bring in all of these different everybody, and it's nothing wrong with that. But we, but it's not the, what you everybody really to do, right? Because I know it wasn't going to work for us. People only cared when Rundy and Jay did Rundy and Jay hard, right? The way we did it, I don't care how phenomenal production guy. If we would have just did what we did, we would have probably had more successful albums than the Beatles. That's why I always say we should have stopped after Raising Hell like um, Cream did. Mm. Clapton and them. They can't, can't go no further than this. So because of the prospective blueprint, 
I would just go do it just to be down. But there was no, it wasn't, I had no fire. I was, my, my stove was off. As opposed to the first part of your career where the stove was oh, on. Oh, I got to get, yo, let's, yeah. Can't wait. Now, with, with Tougher Than so, Leather, after that, you're like, eh. So, to get to enjoyment, doing, let me go drink. Mm -hmm. And wait till, you know, we were still killing shows, though. So in the killing shows, like if you notice, all the new records that we did, we never performed them. We only performed the records that Run DMC and Jay made our whole career. So you're feeling depressed. You're not right, liking exactly. your Right, exactly. I didn't know I was depressed, though. When did you realize you were depressed? Um, 19, all right. So tougher than, I mean, um, 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 tougher than leather, um, back from hell years, from 1993. We're still doing shows here and there. The whole dynamic has changed and stuff like that. We're not on MTV. We're not on the radio. None of that. But we still loved and respected. Because of you guys, none of this, this. We're Pioneers legend. 1993. Remember I said change. Everybody who wanted to be Run DMC now got the chance to be Run DMC. But they didn't be Run DMC. They be themselves. Phenomenal group called Pete Rock and Sale Smooth. Amazing. Legendary, Legendary. iconic, major, crazy Magic. songs, style, whole thing. We working on a Down With The King album, 93. Working with Q-Tip, working with KG of Naughty, working with Eric Sermon, EPM. All of these guys are killing right now. Pete we Rock. the old guy. Pete Rock's producer. Premier, DJ Premier. We never worked with Premier. You did a Dr. Dre record on Down With The King, right? No, we did a... We did a we did a record that sounded like Dr. Dre for the Beavis and Butthead movie soundtrack. Okay. But it was produced by Jay. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. 
On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. But you're feeling depressed. Well, no, not yet. So down, we're, we're doing, I'm just going through the motions. So down with the king was the, like the eighth and ninth record that we recorded. That record did for Run DMC what people say Walk This Way did for Aerosmith. It brought us back in the 90s. Right. So we did that record. We put it out. Now we're back on the road. 80s was a different payday. Now we're getting 90s payday because we got a hit record. We charted. We had the video. Easy e showed up. We back on MTV, back on the radio. We back on hot rotation with all the new rappers and stuff like that. Down with the king killing. But P-Rock and CL Smooth, people are loving Soon as that record dropped, I woke up the next day and said, I don't want to live no more. And you might think I would be happy, yo. In the 80s, we was getting 75 and 100 grand. Now in the 90s, we're getting 150 to two. You know, we're getting the, 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 the fucking Limp Biscuit paydays. We're getting paid like every naughty, get, like, you know what I'm saying? And we opening for everybody and busting everybody out like it was crazy. Nobody wanted to go after us. Right when Down with the King revived my career, I woke up and I don't want to live no more. What the hell's going on? I didn't know why. So I just sat in there. We, 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 Marilyn Manson, ZZ Top, Naughty by Nature. Um, hey guys, y'all want to come to Mouse Guy and play? Yeah, how much we getting? Two hundred grand. Crazy, like you would be happy, right? When I was, oh no, just this feeling came over me, and I remember we was in. First was in Japan. We went to Japan. Um, played Osaka and Tokyo, and I was laying in my room, and I was like, okay, what the hell's going on? I'm Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Bifert's my mo- father. Banner's my mother. Alfred's my brother. Son of Bifert, brother of Al. Banner's my mother. Runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are. Ronald's. I ran down my family tree. Gee. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. Jason's my DJ. This and that. I just went through my whole life. Um, now we're back. Down with the King is killing. And I was happy with Down with the King. If you heard me on that record... If you listen from Tougher Than Leather to Back From Hell and all of that, I was just there. And even on Tougher Than Leather, we was fucking cursing. I mean, from Back From Hell, everybody said, well, I was Run DMC trying to be gangster rappers and all that. But on Down With The King, what was important about Down With The King, it was Pete Rock who looked at me and said, Daryl, you ain't got to be Rakim. You ain't got to be ZZ. You ain't got to be um, 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 Coogee Rap. You ain't got to be Q-Tip. You ain't got to be Tress. I want that DMC shit. So when I went in the studio for Pete Rock, he didn't want me trying to out-rhyme Tretch. He didn't want me trying to fit in and 
be like Cain. He didn't want me to be like the boot, like um, um boot clamp clipping. You know, all the little uh-huh. yeah, and all uh-huh. those yeah, age yeah. jokes. Did none of that shit. You ain't got to impress Fat Joe. He said, I want that DMC shit. And it was basically what I did with Down with the King was the same thing I did with Suck MCs. Where am I in my life? Taking the tours. I'm wrecking the land. I keep it hardcore. Keep the, the, the real shit that y'all don't. Y'all think it's old, but it's not old. It's new to you because you never heard it. Even if I made it in 65 and the world never heard it, when I do it in 2019, it's going to be like... There's some new shit. No, it's not. I'm um, taking the tours. I'm wrecking the land. I keep it hardcore because it's dope, man. These are the roughest, toughest words I ever wrote. And, excuse my language, it's not meant for a hoe like a slow jam. That was the only time I used the word hoe because, remember, at the time, hip-hop, Diddy had took hip-hop and made people sing over it, so they were stealing our beats. So that, to me, from the uh, uh, old-school take, man, I'm, Diddy's doing something that I'm mad at him for. Hip-hop, you Keith Sweat. And Levert, y'all sing over y'all produced music. Don't be stealing our beats to make your shit easy. So I took it personally. Keep it hardcore because it's dope, man. A roughest, toughest words I never wrote. And it's not meant for a whole like a slow damn. Check it. To all the MCs out there, sucker MCs can never swing with thee because of all the things that I bring with me. Only G.O.D. could be a king to me. And if a G.O.D. be in me, then a king, I'll be Pete Lawson. Yo, that's rhyme of the year, this and that. So that happened. So... When I was laying in my bed, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And I'm happy. I got this feeling. I'm happy. It was about, it was like in December. I remember we played, we played um, Queens College. We played Queens College. And I remember we, we got, we made it through the show. And every now and then, Joe would lose his voice. I would lose my voice. But this night, Joe was like, yo, D, your voice is cracking a lot tonight. And I thought it was a, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? When that happens, when Joe Voice gives out, I help him, this and that. So it was Queens College. Then I went to King out. Voice started cracking. Next show started cracking. Next show started cracking. Next show, next show, next show, next show, next show. Tell it just went. Tell it just went. It left. So now I'm depressed because, like, oh, shit. I'm thinking I, I can't rap no more. My fucking whole life is over. So now I know something's going on because now I'm suicidal because now I can't rhyme no more. You know what I'm saying? I can't do the thing. Like, it came to me, if I can't do the thing that I love, what's the sense of living? When you say I'm suicidal, are you specifically talking about ways to do it? Yes. We, we go to fucking, um, we went to, back to Japan. I'm going to get rat poison. And it's funny. We was in Japan. I was going to drink the rat poison. We was in Austria. I was going to jump off the bridge. And, uh, and my whole mind, I'm thinking... I visioned it. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and news, just like when I saw Pac die, when I saw Biggie die on CNN, is going to say breaking news, rapper Daryl McDaniels kills itself in... You thought oh, I was there. that would be a good thing or a bad thing that you would be all over the news? That the way. worst thing. I thought it was a bad thing, but I was thinking I'm, I'm going to do it. I was just you laying out what was going to happen. Despite I'll be all over the news, despite Yeah, that. yeah. No, I knew if when I kill myself, this is what's going to happen. But not you, saying when I kill myself, my wife's not going to have a husband, my father, my son's not going to have a... None of the good stuff of not to do it. I'm thinking, because I'm already there. I'm knowing I'm going to jump, die, and that's, and I'll be that's all the last the thing as killing myself. So I was living with that. And then um, the other pressure was, which made it worse. Now, you got to understand, I had this void thing in me because I didn't deal with it is taking my voice but I thought it was, my voice was just going because I can't rhyme no more I thought it was physical so now the pressure is we getting all these show dates 
I still got to get up on stage with no voice in front of millions of people so that me running Jay can still get this check. Don't worry, D will cover you. So if you look at the period, the first year down with the King, if you look at all of our shows from like 94 to 99, Jay would help me the whole show. If you go back, if you go look at, here's some homework for you. Go look at Run DMC Live in Switzerland at Montreux, 2000, I think it was 2001. I don't have no voice in there. They had to superimpose our vocals over it to just to get so that we could sell the CD, sell the DVD of it. So what's happening is this. I got this feeling in me. I'm losing my voice, but now I still got to get up and do something that I can't do just to support my crew. Imagine what that was doing to me emotionally. What was killing it doing? It was killing me. Making me know I got to kill myself because I got to be free of this. So killing, the, and ki- you got to kill yourself because I could have just stopped. But if I just stopped, now I got to talk to people. I got to tell Jay what's going on. I got to tell him what's going on. If I kill myself, I just ain't got to deal with none of this. It's over. So I can understand people that committed suicide. How close did I you get? There. I was on a ledge about the jump. Where? And something said to me, um, we was in, what was that town that used to be Yugoslavia? Or was it Yugoslavia? It's a different name for it there. We was there, no, might have been, it was somewhere weird. Eric was there. Because I remember we was doing, we was doing some promotion for Down With The King album, I believe. It was in Europe somewhere. We had to do a photo shoot, but it was like outside of, the big city of Austria or somewhere like that. It was in a little town where they didn't even have the name brand hotels, no Marriott, Snow Hill, and she just got the the, the, the native hotel or whatever. But this particular hotel didn't have the guardrails, no safety thing. So we did the photo shoot on a roof, and I'm, I'm doing a photo. And I would, if you look at a lot of... You're doing the photo shoot thinking, oh, it doesn't have guardrails. It's jump perfect. off of here. So that, that suicidal voice is really working. Yep. So we finish the photo shoot. We go back down in our rooms, and Eric goes to everybody, yo, be in the lobby 6.30 for sound check. Here's a routine. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like 1 o'clock now, so that's all free time. I wait till everybody go in their room. I look out the hallway. Nobody's there. Because I knew if I don't do it now, they're going to come lock the door so nobody goes to the roof because the door was open. So I run back up to the roof, and I get up on the ledge. And I'm on the ledge, about to jump, and, D, you can't jump yet. This is me talking to me. What the fuck? Leave me alone. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. So a couple of things went on to me that said, okay, the reason why I shouldn't jump is if I jump and don't die, this shit's going to hurt. Right. But if I don't jump, this, this feeling that doesn't hurt like it hurt if, if I break my back, it's way worse than any physical pain. So I'm debating with myself, jump now, what if you don't jump? And, oh, yeah, but you got to jump. I'm the, 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 the pull, the struggles going back and forth. And then some, no, you can't jump yet. Why? You need to write a book. What the fuck? I'm trying, I'm in some shit. No, you need to write a book. This came from, D, if you die now, people know the Run DMC story. They know first to go gold, first to go platinum, first to cover on a stone, my Adidas and all that, but they don't know Daryl, the little boy who made all this possible. 
All right, I won't kill myself because now I got to write a book. <laughs> Go on to South Side. Eric, I want to write a book. He's not there. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. I just wanted you to get my opinions on hip hop. He didn't know where I was coming. So he talks to my publicist, Tracy Miller. You're going to write a book called Respect, Responsibility, and My Life for it, Run DMC. That was my first book I wrote before the 10 Ways one. That's the one that gave birth to 10 Ways. So remember, I put that book out, Respect, Responsibility, and My Life. And the thing that made it, the thing that, the, the thing that made it a perfect opportunity for me, because in it, the writer was going to ask me about the Run DMC stuff. And it would, every time Pac died, they would call me and say, what do you think about hip hop? I gave my opinions on gangster rap, Pac died, Big died, and all that. But nobody knew, really knew I've died. Nobody knew. The reason why I wanted to write the book was, is because y'all know the devastating mic controller. Y'all know the king of rock, but you don't. I never got the chance to speak in interviews because run. But I didn't need to, because everything that I told you about me was on the records. Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. That's how my life was. St. John's University, you know what I'm saying? So when I was doing the book, I said, this is the thing. I got to do this book because this is what I want to leave for the world, because the records and stuff like that. And in the book, I want you to see that Daryl does have things that he would like to talk about. So when I was doing the book, it was basically, yo, what's up, world? I'm DMC from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. Here's my ideas on respect, responsibility, and a few tidbits of my life for Run DMC. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first to the cover on a stone, first with the D to deals, first with the big tours, everything that you're doing, hip hop is doing, they say it's because of me running Jay. But I'm really just Daryl McDaniels from Hollis Queens, New York, no different from any boy or girl on the face of the world and on the face of the earth. And I was born May 31st, 1964, and I, oh, I know my birthday. But I don't know no details about it. I need to put this in the book. Call my mom's up. I didn't say I'm about to kill myself. I said, Mom, I'm doing this book. And I know my birthday is May 31st, 1964. Just to make it more interesting for the reader, I need to know three things. How much did I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? She told me those three things. I love you. I love you. Hung up the phone. Hour goes by. Same day. Phone rings. It's my mother and my father. Hey, son. Hey, dad. What's up? They go, we have something else to tell you. Now, I'm thinking it's going to be something. Oh, there was a power outage in the hospital, and they still gave birth to you. They hit me with, well, you was a month old when we brought you home, and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. Click. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm really going to kill myself. Imagine that. This crazy feeling. Don't know what it was. I want to kill myself, but I don't know what I want to do. I'm, my voice is leaving, so now I'm really going to kill myself. Hold on, but don't kill yourself. Afraid. And to hear that. You're adopted. And the head at how old are you? I'm 35 years old. 35 finding out you're adopted. Imagine that. So now, now here's here's the killer thing. Let's go back a little bit. Cause the story had to, we went over this part. Remember, I said I was drinking a case of English every day. So eventually that's gonna catch up with you. In 1991, I was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis. I was in the hospital for a month and a half. Taking everything intravenously because I couldn't take nothing orally because they had to see if the body was going to appear itself. Fortunately, my liver came out okay and my pancreas was just bruised. So when they, they um, discharged me from the hospital in 1991 and they looked at me, I forgot to tell you this, and said, son, you have, doctor said, you have two choices. You could drink and die or not drink and live. So cold turkey, that's easy. 
I didn't have to go to rehab. I see an old English. Nope, I ain't touching that shit because I'm thinking deaf, 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 deaf. So 91, 92, all the bullshit, run DMC stuff back from hell, the new jack swing, stuff like that. It was make That was the feeling. All of that was building up, but I had something to distract me. Don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. Then I went to King comes out, pushed me back up on the thing, back up on the pedestal. So now my spirit is back open again. I'm happy with the Pete Rock rhyme, but something ain't right. So cold turkey, I wasn't drinking. Now that I found out that I'm adopted, when I stopped drinking, Torrey, it was Queso O English. When I stopped drinking, it was a case of English. When I found out I was adopted, my best friend became Jack Daniels and Jim Beam. I went back. Because, look, I just got told I was adopted. I don't know nothing, I don't know where to get help from. You know, I'm the mighty DMC. I didn't know therapy, this phone. I didn't know about nothing. So the only thing that I knew from experience was alcohol. So now I'm drinking Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, um, 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 Remy Martin and Hennessy. When I stopped drinking, um, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. When I stopped drinking seven years ago, it was rum and coke. It was rum and coke and screwdrivers. Now the new liquor out is Hennessy, Remy Martin, Jack Daniel, Jim Beam. I didn't know where to turn. So I turned it out and I started drinking that again. And that was 24 hours a day. When I was drinking a case, oh, yeah, I just drink all day. I go to sleep like one in the morning, wake up at 11, start again. Now, because of this emotional revelation, old English, and I'm funny. You can't, old English is played now. You're like, you know, in the hood, it ain't cool to drink old English. That's what drunks do. So now I can't drink the old English, my favorite shit. But now I'm just drink the, the, I'm going to drink the, um, the, um, the, the, um, the higher, the, 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 um, the um the higher um, whiskey yeah yeah, yeah. Ex- exclusive whiskey so Torrey I found out I was adopted now I'm drinking Jack Daniels and Jim Beans my best friend my wife I tell my wife I'm drinking because I just I'm celebrating my newfound identity that filled that void that was making me so comfortable I love women because you'll tell us the truth every time she looked at me she said motherfucker you drink it because you can't handle emotionally handle the fact that you just found out that you was adopted she's right your wife dropped a truth bomb on your head I'm drinking thinking I'm saying then she hit me with this she said it's it's not like you can drink and we're telling you not she said you can't drink because you have pancreatitis she said you have found your way to kill yourself Subconsciously, Whoa. I'm gonna keep drinking, and then one day I'm gonna just die. Now I ain't gotta jump. Now I don't gotta shoot myself. Now I ain't gotta drink the poison. Whoa, dude, it's crazy. So that was my life from '97 to 2004. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals. Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus 
a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Toray for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Voice was gone. Oh, and then right after that, hold up. After they, after I found out that I was adopted, what happened? Jam Master Jay gets shot and killed. Where were you so when you found out Jay got killed? I was home waiting to go to play a show in D.C. for the Washington Wizards. Who called you? Who called? Eric's um, daughter called me and said Jay got shot. And it's funny because I was packing. We was Run DMC was going to go play halftime at the Washington Wizards game in D.C. the very next day. And I was packing to go away in 10 o'clock news, yep. 5, 11, and 9. So I turned it on, and I saw it. Um, um, Jam Master J shot and killed in a studio in Queens. So I thought back to 86. Remember 1986, there was a rumor Jay got shot in the road. It was a big rumor from 86 to 88 that Jay got so shot in the road. It. Didn't believe it. Said, oh, this is like 86. Channel 5. Turn to Channel 11. Jam Master J shot and killed. Yeah, whatever. Turn to Channel 9. Jam Master J. Sean Kirk. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Took me an hour to pack. 11 o'clock news. 2, 4, and 7. The real news. That's everybody. So, same thing. Channel 2. Um, channel 7. Turn it to Channel 4. They show Jam Master J. Sean. They show a body bag being carried down the stairs. And right at J Studio, Jamaica Avenue, the bus terminal. Okay. Here's what's happening. Somebody did get shot in Jay's studio for sure, but not Jay. So then right after that, Eric's, his daughter Erica calls, crying, oh, they killed Jay, this and then they shot. Whoa. Yo, we got a, honey, what's going on? So me and my wife, we get a babysitter, we jump in the car. We living in Jersey at this time. We drive to the city. To when Queens. I, to Queens. We drive to Queens, to where Jay's studio out there, 169th Street, bus Terminal. Pull up. When I realized it was real, I get out, I see Ed Lover and Chuck D bawling like little kids. Mm. That's when I knew it was real. Mm. I see a crowd of people, but when I get out, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I thought it was going to be some, one, of Je- one of my boys growing up. Yeah, somebody did get shot. Soon as I get out, the first thing I saw was Chuck D, a public enemy, and Ed Lover bawling like little kids. Couldn't even speak to me. That's when I knew it was real. And what'd you do? Oh, I remember I walked. Well, they didn't let me in the studio. I walked to where I saw the thing in the news. It was quick. I walked to the staircase where they brought Jay's body down at. You know, cops get back this way. Right? And then some detectives just came and got me and took me. Because the precinct's right across the street on the corner. Took me to the precinct. It was crazy. Next thing I know, I'm in front of a big light getting interrogated. Asking me about this, this and that. Where was you? This or who did Jay hang with? This and that. And, be like, and it was crazy. They looking at me like I'm lying. 
because I'm DMC or run DMC. It was like, but Jay had, I didn't hang with Jay when we was off the road. Jay went back to Hollis. He was with his crew, Randy and Kane, and I didn't hang with Jay. I only hung with Jay when we toured and did studio and interviews. Do you know who did it? Nope, we don't. Nobody knows. To this we, day, you still don't nope, know? Nope, to this day, nobody the knows. Streets, Some, no, nobody the, knows. The streets the seven didn't people tell in you? the studio know. The streets didn't tell you? Not yet. And it's funny, even in Hollis, the OGs is saying, yo, eventually it's going to come out. The seven people in the studio know who did it. You didn't talk to them? Huh? You ain't holler at them like, yo, no, I didn't. I, DMC, tell me what's up. No, no, because there's a closer, for me to run, if I start getting vocal about it, it's going to push things further. If I let the streets and that so audience do what they, the, the OG say, yo, when we here, we telling. Like, you can shoot motherfuckers, they funny. You can shoot, but you don't shoot Jay. Killing Jay was a message. If we could kill Jay, the... we could kill your ass. To whoever that's what's down with Jay, whatever that situation was. So I'm in the studio, damn, they just shot Jam Master Jay, who travel. I live here. I'm thinking about my, I don't travel the world. So you're you know worried for your own safety. Yeah, that's why I think the people, it was like this. Jay's studio was no bigger than this. To get upstairs, you got to look on the screen. You got to get buzzed in. So they knew who was Before, coming. Yeah. Oh, that's what's his name. Let him up. If it's unknown, who the fuck is that? Yo, don't let the motherfuckers in there get the straps. <laughs> oh, come on up. So that person comes in the studio, busts a shot, shoots Jay's boy, and the leg. Jay's sitting there playing games on the couch. The studio just like this. The, the mic in the studio room is in. This area is the sitting area. Lydia, his assistant's at the door. You got to come in. Hey, Lydia, how you doing? Where Jay at? You know the desk. You know that the so person. So Lydia, whoever the new, yeah, whoever seven was. people in there. Hell yeah! Wow. And the thing is, this this is why I know you got to get buzzed up. It wasn't like the person broke in and was hiding right. in the studio. You got to right. oh shit, come on up. I was at the funeral. You were not crying. You were numb. Yeah, because. <laughs> Because my whole thing was, damn, now I know how Chris, Kirk, I mean, um, Kurt Cobain's people felt. Mm. Now I know how Biggie's people felt. Now I know how Pac's people felt. Never just one of those things. How, never thought it was going to happen. How to did you. you feel? What was it? Numb. It's crazy. No, I'm like, it's like, hold up. And, you know, it, it's crazy because, like, even seven years in, I was like, Jay ain't dead for sure. Mm. Seven, like, you know, so now I know because people are telling me, yo, that shit was over, what, 2002? That's 17 years. Now I'm like, wow. But seven, eight years, the first seven, eight years, I will always have that moment, Jay ain't dead. Yo, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And I remember his was funny about Jay. I talk about this in my book. Jay was the only one out of everybody in my career who, when my voice was gone, Fuck that, D, you're going to be all right. Um, your son is going to eat. You could write. You're going to work for my JMJ company. He's the only one out of everybody that, besides Eric and Kat, my friends that cared about me drinking, I'm talking about to, to know. Jay was the only one who thought, damn, if D can't rhyme no more, he's over. No, he ain't. I got him. What did it, only one. What did it do to your friendship, relationship with Run? Well, people think that it, there's not, it, we didn't have a big, four, there's not like, even they want to do this Run DMC movie, they're looking for some dynamic, but there's no dynamic. We never argue. We never fought. There's no animosity. What happened was, when my voice was going, Run, and every, I talk about this in my book and shit. 
He had to do what he had to do. So he's thinking, my voice is going, he's thinking about the very next day what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do this Rev Run shit, which, which is okay. You know what I'm saying? So what happened was I lost my voice. We were still trying to make it. I'm running realizing, yo, we're going to get through this year, but I got to figure my life out. Then Jay gets shot. So the reason why Run and D don't associate no more is because the band fucking broke up. You know what I'm saying? And what it did to the relationship was we ain't got no reason to be around each other no more. So you don't see him anymore? At all. There's nothing to talk about. Well, and it just, it's just bugged. Like I said, Jay was the only one that offered some assistance out of all these rich money. And it's not about money. I talk about this in my book. What I was looking for was, there, yo, D, you all right? That would have been a, from everybody who ever walked in. Eric was doing it because he ain't he with me regardless of this rap shit. Kept certain people, my publicist, she with me even if she ain't got to represent me. Daryl, are you okay? What he said, that's what you want. I don't need Russell to come and write me a $10 million check. Fuck, money, money ain't, if I'm not right, this shit ain't, what the hell? You know what I mean? Figure this out. So with me and Run, it's just the band broke up and that's it. And he went on and did the Rev Run thing. So the perception, because Run's still, Run's still on the front page of the interview. Jason's dead. Where the fuck is D? Nobody knew what the fuck I was going through. Contemplating suicide because I just found out that I, my, vo- my voice is leaving. I just found out that I was adopted. Jam Master J got shot and killed. And it, six months after Jam Master J got shot and killed, Bifred dies. So I'm dealing with all, and that boom, boom, boom. Dead. All in that time span. So I'm dealing with that during Run's first year of his TV show, his second year, third TV show. So people not seeing me. See him run with his flashy cars in his house and think, oh, that's, a B- oh, that's wrong what they did to D. They ain't do nothing to me. You know what I'm saying? They did what they had to do because of the circumstances. So it took, it took what, 2004. It's 2004. Eric and I'm trying to keep me busy, this and that, not knowing what's really going on with me. I'm drinking. They're telling me, motherfucker, stop drinking. And I was a functional drunk. I show up, this and that. You know what I'm saying? But the problem was I started drinking 24 hours. I was drinking so bad, we'd be in the clubs from like midnight to three in the morning. And, you know, by one in the morning, I'm like, Eric, go get me a drink. They go over there. They just bring me back cranberry juice. I was just so drunk. I wouldn't know because I'm already drunk. You know what I'm saying? So it just got to the point where, um, oh, the first thing that happened was, my wife was telling me, yo, go see what this voice thing is about. You know what I'm saying? Look, if the shit is gone forever, at least go see what it, what it's about. So I go to um, Lenny Kravitz, throat doctor. Then he sends me to Mar- Mariah Carey's throat doctor. I'm going to all the specialists here in New York. So I go to all these private doctors. Then they like, oh, we don't know what's going on. They send me to Mount Sinai up here on 90th. Um, ear, eye, throat. I'm talking about the special specialist. So I go there, they run all these tests for me, and they come out and say, son, we don't know how to tell you this. There's nothing physically wrong with your throat. What do you mean? I can't fucking talk. Like, all we could say is this. There's this thing called spasmodic dysphonia. There's adductor, like you're working out an abductor. When you speak, your, your, your vocal cords contract in or they contract out. With spasmodic dysphonia, you either have one or the other. We don't know how this is possible. You have both. So all, all we can do for you 
All we can do for you is, um, Eric, excuse me, pass me my bag. All we can do for you is give you Botox treatment. So they took this long needle and gave me a Botox shot in my vocal cord to see if it could stop the, the contractions or whatever. So that didn't work. So now I'm living with the fact that I'm never going to have a voice again. Um, life is over. Run DMC is over. Jay's over. I'm dead. But the, I'm sweating now just thinking of it. What the hell am I going to do? So imagine having that weight on you. All that father did, Jay, then just finding out you have both types of spasmodic dysphonia. But the doctors is telling you there's nothing physically wrong. Which you're doing. I didn't know it was all internal and emotional. So I'm going through the motions, going through the motions, and then um, Eric takes me to L.A. to get cast for a movie. Keep him busy so he don't kill himself. It's one of those things. So we go in, we, we go into this um, we go into this meeting with this agent guy, and he's talking to Eric and whatever, whatever. So after he finished talking to Eric, he turns to me. So during the whole um, meeting, Tori, I'm sitting there going. My voice is gone. I'm fucking adopted. Like, I'm, I'm in a miserable face. So the guy turns to me and says, okay, DMC, what's up with you? I always see Run, Run's house, Kimora, Russell, Fat Farm, Baby Fat, all of that. Why do I never see you? And when he just asked me that, something in my head said, motherfucker, you want to know what's up with me? Well, I just found out that I was fucking adopted at age 35 and everybody knew and I just let it out. And the dude was like, whoa, whoa. He said, there's somebody I think you should meet. A week earlier, there was a lady in his office named Sheila Jaffe. She's a casting director for Sopranos, Entourage, Mark Warburg, Travol, one of the biggest casting directors in there. She's adopted, and she had been doing searches for her biological parents, but kept in dead ends. So after they had their meeting, she was like, yo, Sheila, you seem down. What's wrong? Well, I've been doing this search, and every time I keep getting dead ends and this and that, boom, bang. So he just thought, yo... Maybe you should meet with her. You know, I don't know if anything's going to come out of it, but she's, you know, running around, whatever, whatever. So a week later, I go to meet with Sheila, and we meet for at a Greek restaurant in L.A., and we just sit there and talk. She tells me she found out she was adopted when she was 14 years old. Her parents didn't tell us. She found out when a neighborhood bully girl, it was a rite of passage in the Bronx for the neighborhood bully girl to whip your ass. So it was her turn to get her ass whipped, but she said the neighborhood bully girl really wanted to hurt us. So she says, Sheila, before I whip your ass, I just want to let you know your parents really don't love you because you're not theirs and you're adopted. In front of, you know how to crowd. <laughs> In front crowd of everybody. <laughs> so Sheila was like this. She turned to her best friend and says, did you know? And her best friend was like, yeah, just bust out crying. So Sheila ran home. She escaped the ass whip and she ran home. Mommy, 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 Sally, the bully girl just said I was adopted. Is that true? She said her mother was drying the dishes, dropped the plate. So what if it is? Like, she ain't even addressing it. So what, what her parents did for her was took her to their medical doctor. But taking you to the dentist, Sheila was like, I'm not sick. So this is bad. They sent Sheila in. She's 14 years old with the medical doctor. They stayed outside in the lobby, but they was listening. And Sheila said it was the funny shit ever. The doctor said, Sheila, you know your parents really love you, don't you? And her parents were like, yeah, that's right, Sheila, we love you. So she went through some emotional shit, whatever. So she told me that. I told her hers, and then she goes, um, 
By the way, Daryl, um, once a month, Mark Wahlberg gives us his offices in um, Santa Monica, and we have adoption meetings. I said, what are you talking about? It's like Adoption Anonymous. We go into an office, we go in a room, and adoptees from all walks of life all over the world, we just sit there and talk to let it out. Set change, I'm in there, like this. Adopted person from Australia, adopted lady from Vietnam that will never find a parents because she was an orphan. Doctor lady from the UK, me, the rapper guy, Sheila, the casting agent, the UPS man. And it was the best thing ever because we just go in the room and we talk. And we leave. I'll see you a month from now. So about the third meeting, this thing comes up about the search and stuff like that. So they look at me and they go, D, aren't you dying to, um, aren't you interested in finding out your byline? Nope. Uh, y'all, y'all know the record. Son of Byford, brother of Al, Ben and Byford's my parents. This and that. I'm stopping right there. And then, yeah, that, you know, that's okay. That's cool. You, you don't have to be curious. So now every meeting, they're instigating. They, you know, they ask me that question every meeting. So on the 11th meeting, it was like, D, are you sure? Deep down inside, you really know you want to know. Yes, I want to know. It's been a mystery, this and that. So they convinced me to do the search for my... um biological parents but the first thing that I had to do was get sober so now outside of all the tra trauma that just happened for me I got in a, I got something I could wake up and look forward to you know what I'm saying and I, and I think that's what our life is it wasn't about a check it wasn't about any status it had something to the, the art of discovery you know what I'm saying hearing that new, writing my new rap song or coming home from kindergarten with the the finger painting, and my mother prominently displays it on a refrigerator for all everybody who walks in the kitchen to see. That's what we want. You know what I'm saying? We just want some acknowledgement and understanding or some release. So now I got something to live for. So I said, okay, Eric, everybody's telling me to um, go get sober. I'm ready to go get sober. So Eric's happy. Uh, Leor Cohen's assistant, Kathy Simeonidis, She's really happy because she would cry. Well, Dee, you're going to kill yourself. I love Kathy to death. So Kathy goes to Leo Cohen and says, Leo, D wants to go into your rehab. You have to pay for it. So Leo, who is big executive now, he must have felt for me. When I started in the business, I was a roadman. We shared rooms. I'll do anything for Daryl. So Leo says, okay, I'll pay for his rehab. So that was in, it was in March when I decided to go in the rehab. And this is when I really started to know that I had power. Because when I admitted, when I said I'm going to go into rehab, it was March. I was supposed to go in rehab April 1st, 30 days, April 1st to April 30th in Sierra Tucson in Arizona. So in March, when I said I'm going to go into rehab, I said to myself, yo, D, don't wait until March 31st to stop drinking. You know you're going to go to rehab. That means that you're going to, so you need to stop drinking now. So March 1st, without any rehab, discussion, pills, assistance, I just stopped drinking. Cold turkey. Cold turkey. Just because I knew I was going. But because I would, that was the thing, you're going to rehab so you don't need to drink. And it was that easy. It wasn't until I realized the power to have when I got to rehab, April 1st, you go into the intake room. I'm in the intake room. There was a guy passed out on the left side. There was a guy in a straight jacket passed out. <laughs> On my right side, so the doctor was like, I guess I got to start with you. When was your last drink? And I was like, a month ago. He was like, what? I said, I stopped drinking a month ago because I know what's coming. He was like, wow, man, I wish more people was like you. <laughs> you don't even need to be in here. So they put me right into 
the, um, the study part of it. Um, the, the rehab I went to, they don't just clean you up and throw you back in the world. It was like school. They give me, you got, you got nine assignments to complete before you leave, and then you take classes, um, physical, spiritual, scientific, and historical. They teach you about booze, the prohibition. They teach you about dopamine. They teach you about, um, one of the classes was very interesting, the study of the guy that discovered LSD. Mm. You learn about that, and out of all addiction stuff, um, they said everybody that gets high is in a conscious search for God. Mm. They want to reach that nirvana, whether it's LSD, whether it's alcohol, whether it's meth. You, you want to, it's, 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 it's a human nature thing. You get high because you want to get to that. So I'm in there. I finish all my courses in a week. Because they say, yo, this guy, he's crazy. So I, I, I knock out every course. And the thing that changed me was when I was sitting in there, and I'm thinking, the scary thing is when I get out, I got to go search for my birth mother, which is a mystery. That's why I'm doing all of this. So I kind of was wishing rehab would have never ended because I'm scared of what was going to happen. But I was in one meeting, and I was sitting there. You go to the classes. Um, um, you go to the classes, breakfast, class, lunch, class. Then in the evening, it's just a room, and you sit around. It's, I'm in there with the sex addicts, the anorexics, the gamblers, the alcoholics, the men. When you just get in the room, and you're just talking or whatever. Anybody would like to speak today, that whole thing. So while I'm sitting in there, the alcoholic crew would always do their, um, and I'm one of them, they would always do their 12-step uh, recital. I depend on my higher power. I turn to my higher power, and they go on that. So by the third class, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, my higher power. If it's mine, that means that I have it. It's not out there. It's not something I should be talking about. So if it's my higher power, and that means that I have it. I'm, I'm sitting there, it's like superhero stuff. That means if I, if it's, I'm Spider-Man. I'm Batman. I, the higher power is me. And then it made sense to me because when I said, I'm going into rehab in a month, let me stop now. I didn't have to wait so somebody could tell me I need a higher power to stop. I just went right to my, let me stop now. So when I was in, I was like, whoa, that started blowing my mind. So I get out of rehab, come back, I do the search for my birth mother, I find my birth mother of two brothers and a sister that I didn't know I had. And um, 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 it was crazy because my brother Mark, who was three years older than me, when my mother was 15 years old, she had Mark. And he, they, lived, they lived in um, Hamilton Heights, up by Washington Heights. She had a child before you? Yes, she had Why? my brother, Mark. Why'd she put you up for adoption? Because they were living in um, Hamilton Heights. The father moved them from Harlem to Staten Island to get out of this. And they said, okay, we're going to help you raise this kid. Don't go back to Harlem. Stay away from that boy. Don't go home pregnant again. 18 years old, she was sneaking back and forth to Harlem, came home pregnant with me. There was no way they could keep me. Because she was raised... Cause she was a child. She was a child with a child. So they took care of that one. So instead of aborting me and getting rid of me, they put me up for adoption. So because my mother and father... Because my birth mother was living in Hamilton Heights at the time, 
when my mother and father finally sat me down and tell me what they, oh, we think you're a Dominican because because they, they didn't know about the, the adoption was done to the Catholic agency, so they didn't know. Right. So for five years, while all this was going on, I'm thinking I'm Dominican. I'm wearing Dominican shirts. I'm going to do a Dominican cookbook. I told Eric and my publicist I'm going to um, be the grand marshal in the Dominican Day Parade. And all of this is about identity, right. which is cool. I'm going off of what my mother told, told me. So up until I met my birth mother, she said, she said this. She said, when I finally got to meet her, she said, I know you're dying to know why I gave you up for adoption. I was like, shoot, lady, that's an understatement. And she looked at me. She said, I gave you up to give you a chance. So when she said that, I started thinking, first to go go, first go son of Byford. Lady, you gave me one hell of a chance. Think about that. Buster and Eminem said, D, don't you know if what happened to you didn't happen, hip-hop wouldn't happen the way that it happened? It would have happened, but it was my purpose and destiny to be the third member of that group, stole that thing, and it, like that blows my mind. I was like, well, I see you gave me one hell of a chance. She said, you got... Two brothers and a sister. My brother Mark, who Younger was born than you. first. No, he's the older one. It was me, then it was Mark, then me, then my brother Damon, then my sister Jahida. Right, right. She my had brother two more Mark. kids after she gave you up. Yes, she did, yeah. So my brother Mark was born before me, looks exactly like how I look in the 80s. Mm. Glasses, goatee, everything. Did From, they know? No, but this is what happened to Mark. Did she, Rock did she watch in. you? Did she? Yeah, yeah. She Check paid it out. A, I'm going right there right now. You're like... My brother Mark, his whole career from Rockbox all the way up probably till like 1988. Yo, Mark, come here, man. That guy DMC could be your brother. Wow. 85. Mark, come by. 80 said, yeah, I know DMC could be my fucking brother. Stop saying that. Cool. Wow. Kind of find out DMC's really his brother. Is and my brother. He's different than that. He loves comic books and he can draw like me. Wow. I'm DJ Run, I can scratch. I'm DMC, I could draw. He could draw like me. My brother Damon, who was born after me, look, Mark looks like the DMC glasses, goatee, 86. My brother Damon looks exactly like me now, exactly the ball head, muscles, and he's a f- trainer. He loves... And your mom was watching you? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. And then my sister Jahida, who's the youngest of us all, she has all my OCD traits. When I went to rehab and when I went to therapy, I found out that I'm very OCD. I, I have suppressed emotions. I hate the heat. Like, the, see, I'm sweating. My sister, we hate, I hate this time of year. She has all of that. All of the labels, like if this, if I lay this down like this in my house, I'm trying to live with it. If I laid it down like that in my house, it's got to stay like, if you move that, that kills me. I got to that so i'm trying to work through that so my mother when i before i met her in person i called on the phone and she asked me she said um what do you do i'm in the music business because what happened let me tell you what happened when i did the search for my mother there's a private eye lady i call it a private eye for the adopted guy and she she started a private eye agency because when she was younger she wanted to search but there was no help she couldn't find no help because in a lot of, I think there's like nine or 10 states where here in America, the birth records is open. So it's easy. But for all other states in um, America, it's closed, adoptions, it's whatever. So she got frustrated. She started a private eye agency. So I went to the private eye agency lady. She it took her a week to find out. All right, I think your mother lives in Staten Island. She drives a silver Honda Accord, which is scary because she found it. And I think this is her. What do you want to do? Um, give her a call. So when I finally made contact with her, we was on a phone call. I call her and I say, um, hello, my name is Daryl, and I have reason to believe that um, you might be my mother. 
And she goes, oh, really? She says, when were you born? I go, May 31st, 1964. She says, okay, could be. What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to meet you. She was like, when? I said, can I come right now? She said, no, no whoa, 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 hold up. Because it was a shock that she found me. So she said, um, she said, well, I said, okay, let's meet on Thanksgiving. Because it's no, this was the beginning of November. Cool. Traded numbers. A week went by. She called me back. Before we meet, I need to ask you some questions. Are you married? Yeah, you have kids? Yeah, what do you do? I'm in the music business. Oh, really? What kind of music? This is my birth mother on the phone I'm about to meet. Um, 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 hip-hop, rap music. Rap music, hip-hop? What's the name of your group? I go, Run DMC. She says, oh, my God, I love that music. It's tricky. I love Run DMC. Like, oh, my God. She says, oh, my son is Run DMC. Like, it just blew my mind. She was like, she said, I don't like hip-hop, but I love some Run DMC. That's oh crazy. God. So what she went through, when after that phone call, we're going to meet on Thanksgiving, she says, I got to go tell my children about you because I never told nobody. So she called Damon, Mark, and Jahida into the living room. And she said, this was happening. Kids, I need to tell you something. Um, I had a child that I put up for adoption that nobody knows about. So they were all concerned until this happened. And um, he's DMC of Run DMC. She said, they go, oh, Ma, you pulling out that April 4th. Don't be a... No, no kids coming up to you. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, they didn't believe that, her son. So she said, okay, here's what you do, Ma. When you meet this motherfucker, you make sure you meet him in a Starbucks because there's cycles out here like they didn't know. So, like I said, I met my mother first. She told me, I gave you up to give you a chance. Now I want you to meet your, your siblings and whatever. So we set it up. Um, I went to Staten Island. They had my Mark, Jahida, and Damon sitting there. Skeptical as hell. <laughs> when I walked in that room, it was Mark said it was like looking at his fucking doppelganger. It was, but you could tell in their faces, oh shit, DMC is fucking really my brother. So that happened, and then um, Johnny Juice from Public Enemy called me in because he wanted me to put a verse on a record. So after that happened, I went to the studio, and Chuck happened to be there doing some interview thing that he was doing online. And I went in and I kicked my rhyme, and Chuck was like, yo, D, your voice is coming back. Mm. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, what? Release the And tension. I listened. Yeah. Release the stress. Oh, the touch. Oh. start to come Holding back. it in, telling Jay, I don't want to dance on so That's why it's important to let it out, because well, the body holds on to the trauma. When I got discharged from th- rehab, Sierra Tucson, he said, yo, D, he said, you had the power 30 years ago not to fall into this pit of depression and remain there. I said, what do you mean? He said, don't hold nothing in. He said, don't worry if you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Don't worry if you need um, to operate and feel. He said, it's all about feelings, D. He said, in order for me to feel good about this, this is what I need. But he said, also, you got to sit there and shut up and understand you're going to have to understand that. I would do shit. Like, I, all he said, all I had to do was say, I'm not making pause. I don't, I don't feel good about making, come on, D, get the check. And he said, what would have happened was this. You could have walked away, and the first thing they would have said, yo, D, you're going to walk away from all this money? And you'd just be like, yeah, I'm going to read my comic book. What makes you feel good? Reading a comic book or getting money? Reading a comic book. Getting money is just getting money. It don't make me feel good. It's just getting money. You was getting money for doing something that you felt good about doing. When you s- still took the money... 
to do the thing that you wasn't you wasn't allowed to do it the way you wanted. That's why that when you said you about feel- Walk This Way, Walk This Way was a little different because I was going to make Walk This Way, not the way Rick wanted to do. I didn't feel uncomfortable going, see, so swinging with the book because I was familiar with the record. I just wanted to run my way. I was literally doing things that I wouldn't do to please others. I was, I was diagnosed. He said, your diagnosis is suppressed emotions. He was taking the alcohol instead of telling people how you feel. Um, the first question he asked me in rehab was, yo, D, during your career with Run DMC, did Run J or Russell do anything to make you angry? And I said, no. He looked at me and he said, you're a goddamn motherfucking liar. Yeah, man, in 1985 when Russell did, and then Jay made me do that. And then when I was cursing on Back From Hell, I felt so uncomfortable. He said, it's all about feelings. It's all about, you You need to, if, and how come to realize we celebrate people who say, um, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like I could take on the world. But the minute I say, I feel like killing myself or I'm feeling depressed. People will say, don't feel, Eric and I was telling, well, not Eric and I, everybody else, we don't feel, you can't feel that way because you're DMC. No, I feel just like you feel hot, you feel cold, you feel hungry. So what I would do to not address those feelings was suppress them. And he said, eventually they was going to explode. And if they don't explode, they're going to manifest themselves um, physically some form, which was my voice. He said, your voice, Obama said this too, your voice isn't just how you sound. Your voice is who you are. You was letting these motherfuckers define how your sound is supposed to be. Because mm. if you notice, Jay and Run always change styles year to year. Remember that? Run used to be two years ago, then he was able to triple it up, triple it up, then he started rhyming like Q-Tip and all these other guys. Me, in the midst of hip-hop growing, even when I was the biggest thing on the earth, fucking Mel and Kaz is still fucking greater than me because them motherfuckers did some shit that nobody, Jay-Z, Eminem, or Run DMC will ever do. Fuck all this recorded rap stuff. These young boys were phenomenal. So for me, my my opportunity, my my um, responsibility was to keep that alive. But I didn't even grow up wanting to be in show music. When I was a kid, all I cared about was Neil Young, Crosby, Stills, Young and Nash, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, or Harry Chapin and Jim Croce. Storytelling type stuff. So that's what I did. That that was my lane. Okay, I don't rhyme as good as Rakim, but Rakim never did Christmas and Hollis. Crash through walls, come through floors. So my, my therapist said, she, she, he also said that, notice about your whole career. He said, all your great records is you, your higher power. To, to, I am. I'm the son of Byford, brother of, I'm DMC. And I'm the king of, I'm the devastating. Every time I did who I am, it was a powerful work. When I started Trying to, okay, Jay, what do you want me to do? Pause, pause for the course, get yours. And I would never write that shit. You know what I'm saying? I want to dance. You know what I'm saying? I don't even want to be on stage. I want to write my Robin. I just want to hear it, hoping that Mo D likes it. <laughs> I lost all of that. So it's crazy how I just took it. Fortunately, I was able to survive. So everybody that I like, Kurt Corbain, Chris Cornell, Chester from Lincoln Park, all did the leap. So I was there. So my thing is trying to figure out what was that one thing that kept me from not jumping. Therapy was an assistance to me. Because I tell my friends, therapy, the therapists don't help you. And they go, why do you go? The therapist is just a decoy so you can do two things. Say stuff to yourself that you, pull out stuff that you never said to yourself before, or repeat stuff that you said that you didn't listen to. 
I wasn't listening to myself because I'm worried about what people is going to think of me. Yo, um, fuck you. After raising hell, I quit. Where you going? I'm going home to read my comic book. Whatever was going to happen would have happened. But I'm thinking, damn, if I'm not there. Look, running Jay was going to get checks with or without my ass. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize I need to take care of me first. Thanks to DMC for an amazing, epic interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. We're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will no doubt be back next Wednesday with another amazing person because the man can't shut us down.